0: So good to see all of you on this very first day of a new year, certainly our first Sunday together. So glad that you guys are here as we come to worship together this morning. So fitting that one of the very first things that we get to do at the beginning of a new year is to gather on the Lord's Day to worship. So I'm so glad to see you. Let me remind us of a couple of things by way of announcement. Just as we get into the new year and some activities begin to crank back up after a bit of a holiday Let me remind you that uh, for all of you who are uh, new to our church, desiring to be members here at Faith Family, starting next Sunday during the Sunday school hour in room 105, which is just kind of right out that door into the left, we'll have a new session of our new members class here at Faith Family, our body life class. We need to get you signed up for that. So if you are interested in learning more, about Faith Family becoming a member here. Make sure to get signed up for that today. And then next Sunday, that will begin during the Sunday school hour. Also, as we look forward to Wednesday the 11th, our Wednesday night stuff will be cranking back up, our, uh, our women's groups, our men's groups, uh, what we need, especially you ladies to do, is we need you to go ahead and get signed up so that we can make sure all of the books get ordered. So if you could sign up today for that, if you have any questions Maybe try to track down uh, Brandy wherever she is this morning, and um, we we will make sure you have a book and kind of get you plugged in. All of that. Men will be meeting during that time as well. You don't need to sign up. We're not going to be buying books for you guys, so you just make sure to show up that evening on the eleventh. If you have questions about anything going on here over the next couple of weeks, please pull us aside, let us know, and we'll get you pointed in the right direction. All right, let me have a quick word of prayer, and we'll get started together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this, uh, this new day. Father, the dawning of a new year and all that is before us. God, we don't have a clue what awaits us in 2023. Father, it is, uh, it is not even though necessary for us to know. Father, we trust you. Our lives are in your hands. Father, you have ordained our days before there was one of them. God, you are completely trustworthy. We have no reason to doubt. We have no reason to fear. And so, Father, as we look forward to all of the days, God, that are before us in this year, God, we approach them with gladness and joy. Father, we approach them with trust in your sovereign hand. And, God, we are glad that on this very first day of this new year that we are able to be together. God, to come before you in worship. So, God, as we raise our voices in song, God, we declare that all praise and honor and glory, majesty and might, honor and dominion, O oh God, is unto your great name. Through Christ we pray it. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we open and worship. family, would you take your copy of God's Word and join me in the prophet Micah. Remain standing if you are able this morning for the reading of God's Word, the Old Testament prophet of Micah. We'll be reading from chapter 4 for our scripture reading this morning and a bit later in the service as we hear the preaching of God's Word. We'll be in Micah chapter 6 together this morning, just one more week out of our study of Matthew's gospel. But For our scripture reading this morning, Micah chapter 4, in the midst of crushing pronouncements about the sin of Israel and the judgment to come, Micah chapter 4 comes as a ray of hope in the midst of that scathing judgment, a hope that God will one day not leave His people under their guilt and condemnation, but one day He will bring them to a better land to a better day where the king will reign for all eternity and there will be peace with him. Beloved, as we worship on this Lord's Day morning, at the outset of a new year, we have an eye, not just toward this day and not just toward a new year, but we have an eye to eternity. And Micah chapter 4 helps guide us in that. As we read God's word together, may God take this eternal truth And write it upon our hearts. Micah chapter 4 starting in verse 1. And it will come about in the last days. That the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. That he may teach us about his ways. And that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. And never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, With no one to make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Though all the peoples walk, each in the name of his God, as for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather the outcast, even those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on and forever. As for you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come. Even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, why do you cry out loudly? Is there no king among you? Or has your counselor perished? That agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth? writhe and labor to give birth daughter of Zion like a woman in childbirth for now you will go out of the city dwell in the field and go to Babylon there you will be rescued there the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies and now many nations have been assembled against you who say let her be polluted and let our eyes gloat over Zion but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord and they do not understand his purpose, for he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, daughter of Zion, for your horn I will make iron, and your hoofs I will make bronze, that you may pulverize many peoples, that you may devote to the Lord their unjust gain, and their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. Says the word. Of the Lord. Church, would you be seated? And as you do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Oh God, there is something in our soul that longs for these latter days. God, even with the excitement of the dawn of a new year, fresh calendars and weeks and days before us, Father, we still feel the longing for. Father, we understand in our soul it has been put in our hearts by you that, Father, we are not meant for this earth alone. Father, we are not meant for this time alone. Father, we are made for eternity. So, God, as we come to your word this morning, as it instructs us on this Lord's day, Father, we read here of a promise that is surely going to come to pass. God, a promise of a better land, of a better day, when nation will no longer lift up sword against nation. Father, where we, under Your righteous rule and reign, will dwell in peace with You and others for all eternity. Father, we read here of a day when there will no longer be enemies to raise their voice against You, O God, to make war against You or Your people. Father, You will once and for all put them under Your feet. God, the grace of all grace, the mercy of all mercies, the mystery of all mysteries, O God, is that You have come to us by Your sovereign grace and You have called us out of our sin. Father, you have made us a part of your family so that we would not be those under your feet, but those by your side, oh God. Lord, you have done that. We have not done that. We could never do that. Father, you have done that. And so once again, we declare at the dawn of a new year, God, that you alone are great that you alone are wise, that you alone are powerful, that you alone are Savior, that you alone are sovereign, that you alone, oh God, are holy, holy, holy. And God, that you alone are worthy of our praise. No one else, no one else in this room, no one else in all creation, God, except you. So, God, we do look forward in hope. We rejoice. We long for these days, oh God. Father, we would even ask this morning that you would hasten these days, oh Lord. Bring them to pass. Bring them soon. God, until that day, our eyes are fixed on you, our hope is in you, our trust is in you, and we. Oh, God, covenant and commit before you on this day that we will work, that we will labor to make your glory known. God, that we will serve, that we will pour out our lives. God, that we will give our money, our resources, our time, effort, and energy, oh, God, to make you and your glory known. Because, God, there are our lost family members. And there are lost co-workers and there are lost schoolmates, Father, who do not know your thoughts. They do not understand your purposes. And Father, in their sin, in their unredeemed state, they are being gathered like sheaves to the threshing And, oh God, we must call out to them. We must go to them. We must share the gospel with them. We must, oh God, as much as we are able, God, make the gospel known so that they would turn from their sins and trust in Christ before it is eternally too late. God, thank you for this place. Thank you for these people. God, thank you for who you are, what you have done, are doing, God, are going to do. We continue to worship this morning, O oh God, by singing, then by the preaching and the study of Your Word, by the giving of our offerings to You. Oh God. Again, all of it is declaring that we are not able, You are. That we are not great, O oh God, You are. God, edify Your church this morning. Build up the saints. Glorify Your name in name. Christ our Lord, we pray.
1: Church family, let's stand as we continue in worship. Praise the Lord. we mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: So as we get started here in 2023, let's look at our verse for memory this month, Zephaniah 317. Let's recite it out loud once and then we'll pray. All right, so if you would follow with me, should be on the screens, is it? Yep. All right, here we go. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Zephaniah 3.17 Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, this new year. We thank you that, as you say, with, with each day your mercies are renewed, with with the new year. There's promise before us. Lord, as we see in this scripture, we are in your hands, your people. You are near them. We thank you for our ability to claim this promise. Promise, because of the new covenant bought by the blood of Christ that because of him as he has come and given his life on behalf of, of sinful humanity to redeem to, to create and to seal that covenant that we can be partakers by your grace and that we can see here that you are with your people near them that you sing over them. You rejoice over your people. And as this book stipulates, as it says that, Lord, there is judgment due sin, yet you will restore your people because of your abundant love. And so we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your rejoicing over the covenant that you have created. The people that you have gathered and that we have the privilege to be part of them by your grace in Christ. So, Father, we ask that, Lord, over the next few minutes, that, God, your word would be proclaimed in power and that we would hear you. That your spirit, Lord, would would illuminate our souls to see what Your Word intends to what You would reveal of Yourself and what You would reveal of us. That, God, You would draw us by Your grace to repentance, to faith in Your Son. You would draw us to renewed confession of Your goodness, of Your work of regeneration, and of the life You promise to Your people that we can enjoy here and on through eternity. So, Father, would you lead us beside still waters? And Lord, would you would you renew us this morning in the joy of your salvation? We thank you and ask these things, in the name of your Son Jesus. Amen.
0: Church family, let me invite you to take God's word and join me in the Book of Micah. Just again, one more week away from our study in Matthew's gospel, Lord willing, we'll resume that together next Sunday. But Micah chapter 6 this morning, we read earlier from chapter 4. Now we come to three verses together in Micah chapter 6. As we have already stated, we've prayed about, it. it's the first Sunday of a new year. Again, I love the fact that we are gathered together as God's people Um, As the church, this very first day of the year, there's a sense even that we're declaring to the Lord that as we seek to embark on this new year, that, oh Lord, we do that uh, for you. We do that with you. We do that because of you. So I love that we're gathered here together. We all know and we've all reflected, maybe you've done this in your own life. Maybe you've taken some time in recent days to think about a lot of questions maybe that you want to ask and and give answers to at the outset of a new year. I think it's only normal, natural that we do this. We think about questions at the outset of a new year, questions like what, what kind of changes might I need to make in my life? What new habits should I incorporate into my life and into the life of our Family, how can I grow maybe in a particular area of, of life is I think a great question to ask and think about at a moment like this. Uh, should I take that job opportunity that is before me? Those are questions that we might have to face That some i hope i don 't have to face it, but maybe some of you might have to face in the coming weeks and months of this year. These are all questions that are important questions to ask, to answer, and to consider. If I can, though, this morning, I want to add another question to your list for us to consider together this morning. Another question to ask that I'm praying that we all ask, that we all answer, and that the answer to this question becomes the defining direction of our lives in this new year. So here's the question. What does God want from me? It seems pretty simple, but in the midst of all the other questions that we might be asking at a time like this, it can get lost in the fray. A very simple question that seems so obvious, what does God want from me? Maybe for some of you that question seems big. Maybe it seems daunting. I don't know how to get to the answer of that question. But I think before us in the text of God's word this morning comes the very clear answer to this question of what does God want from me? The Israelites of Micah's day were not asking that question. In fact, they didn't care anything about that question. They did not care anything, it seems, from Micah about what God wanted, about God's direction, God's will for their lives, it seems that they care very little about the word, the law of God, and how it pertains to their daily lives. Micah chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us that the prophet Micah is prophesying in Israel around the latter half of the 8th century. And like most of the other prophets in the Old Testament, Micah's ministry was among a rebellious people who had forsaken God and had forsaken God's law. And so as a result, Micah's message, like so many of the other prophets, his message was probably not going to win him citizen of the year in Israel because his message is a hard message. It's a faithful word from a faithful God, but it is a hard message unto the people of God. In fact, right off the bat, in chapter 1, Micah doesn't really do a lot of, hey, how you doing kind of stuff. He just comes right out and says it, because of your rebelliousness against God, because you have forsaken God, because you have chased after other gods, destruction is coming upon you, both northern Israel and southern Israel. And then he begins to explain to them why. In chapter 2, Israel's sins are laid bare before them and most certainly before the eyes of the all-knowing and all-seeing God. At the beginning of chapter 2, we read that they have become schemers of evil. And they stop at nothing to bring their evil plan into place. In chapter 3, Israel's rulers are condemned. They're condemned because even though they knew the right things to do, even though they knew that justice, equity, and fairness was to be dispensed to God's people across the land, they have instead been a part of perverting justice. They have been hating what is good and loving what is evil. They have been preying upon the weakest among them. You come to chapters 4 and 5, a bit of hope in the midst of these rebukes. We read from chapter 4 earlier. In chapter 5, a king, a ruler, a shepherd promised. We've just studied about this in December. His name is Christ who ultimately would come. Hope would be restored to God's people even though they had been rebellious. But then when you come to the beginning of chapter 6, judgment comes again. And when you get to those first five verses of chapter 6, if you just let your eyes fall on those for a minute, you can see that it it appears that you've walked into a courtroom. Judicial language is used in those first five verses of chapter 6. There's a case that is being pled in verse 1. There is an indictment being given in verse 2. At the end of verse 2, God has a case against his people. Look what God says to them in verse 3. What have I done to you? What have I done to you? How have I wearied you? How am I a hard, overbearing God to you? Answer me, he says. He draws them face to face with the reality of their own sin rebellion in the light of his goodness to them. And he lays out a case before them of their rebellion even though I've been faithful to you, even though I was faithful to bring you out of the land of Egypt and bring you into this good land, a land flowing with milk and honey where I would be your God and you would be my people, even though I've been faithful, O Israel, you have been most decidedly unfaithful to me. And then when you come down to verse 6, where we pick up the text, this morning. It seems as though the people of Israel understand at least a bit the plight that they are in. We're in trouble. And so they begin to ask a very poignant, very important question. And essentially at the heart of this question is, how do we fix this, God? What do you, what do you want from us, God? How do we make this better. We have clearly sinned against you. You clearly have a case against us. So, oh God, what do you want us to do in order to make this situation right? And then when you come down to verse 8, God is going to answer the question for them. They will propose some answers in verses 6 and 7, but then finally in verse 8, God whose voice in the room, by the way, is really the only voice that matters, God is going to answer that question for them. He's going to say to them, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want. So, beloved, as we come to the text this morning, we're essentially asking, and then I want to propose from the text, two answers to the question, what does God want from me? And you can frame this in your own heart and mind. If it would help you, you can frame it this way. What does God want for me in this coming year? 2023, what does God want from me? But it's not just a 2023 thing, right? What does God want from me every single day of my life? What does God want from me in every season of my life? That's the question being asked and the answers being given. Look in Micah chapter 6 and read with me verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, What is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God? This may be, in fact, as some have suggested, some of the most important verses in all the Old Testament, because it rightly postures us before the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And it directs us in how we are to think about our relationship to him and then how we are to live that out on a daily basis. What does God want from me? Let me first answer that question in the negative if I can. So here's what I mean. So here's your first answer to this question. God does not want your spiritual activity without your heart. God does not want your spiritual activity without, absent from, your heart. Verse 6 With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? There's a problem. God's made his case. Our hands are caught in the cookie jar. We're guilty. So, how do we fix this? God has rebuked us. God has judged us. So then, what can I bring to God that is going to assuage his anger and stay his hand? How how can I assuage God's holy, righteous anger against me and my sin, And hold back this coming judgment of God. What can I do to fix this? What can I do to make God happy with me again? Just look in verse 6 at the question being asked here. What's the right thing to bring? God. I'm his creation. I serve him. What's the right thing for me to bring? What is the right thing for me to offer so that it will rightly posture me before the one true and living God? We have played the harlots with these other gods. We have chased after other gods. So now before the one true and living God, what is it that I might bring before Him? Church, let me just remind us From the outset of this text that if you and your sin are the problem you and your sin can never be the solution what can I do oh God what can I bring before you oh God I've sinned I've messed up church let me just remind us that if me and my sin is the problem between me and holy God, then there is absolutely nothing that I can bring that I can do that is going to fix the problem that exists between me and my creator. It's just worth remembering certainly as we move through this text. But Isn't there always something in us? Isn't there always something in us that Maybe we don't say it out loud, but we say it in our own souls. I can fix this. I can fix this. I can get my way out of this. I can make this right. I can figure this out. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps, and I can make my way, and I can fix the problem that exists between me and God. I can do something to make this better. And right this wrong. And so then, in his self-will, in verse 6, the questioner is going to attempt to answer his own question. Notice that he doesn't even really stop. He asks the question, but then doesn't even really stop to hear from the Lord. He jumps right into it. Uh, I'll I'll just do some spiritual things And that's going to make this right. So then, maybe what God wants is a burnt offering, a yearling calf. Maybe what God wants in this moment is sacrifice from me. I have lived a life of wanton pleasure, Israel is saying, rebelled. I filled my heart, my eyes, my mind, my life with godless things, so now maybe the answer is, let me do something spiritual. Let me use some spiritual language, let me do some spiritual things, and let me offer a sacrifice. It's a pretty, pretty logical thing. The whole Old Testament system of atonement for sin is based on sacrifice. If sin was committed, sacrifice had to be made. If sin would be forgiven, blood would had to be shed. We have sinned. So a yearling calf, year old, choice, prize. Maybe that's what God wants. But then it almost seems as though they think about that for a moment. And it almost seems like the thought process is this. We've sort of messed up big time. And I don't know that a single yearling calf is going to get it done. We're going to need something bigger. We're going to have to do more. We've really made God angry. So angry that he's about to run us out of the land and send us into captivity. About to destroy our cities. Our lives are at stake here. we got to go bigger. So, verse 7. Does The Lord take delight in thousands. In 10,000 rivers of oil. Maybe that'll get it. We got to do more. More spiritual activity. More sacrifice. More cost to myself. Maybe if I sacrifice hard enough, if I flagellate myself enough if I go without enough maybe that pees God thousands of rams ten thousand rivers boil will that be enough could this kind of outlandish offering Rightly posture me in God's presence before the God on high. Is that what God wants from me? And isn't it interesting, just as with the first proposal, now with the second proposal, God is silent. God says nothing. So, they keep on. One more Final, completely outlandish proposal at the end of verse 7. Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. I don't don't, don't think an animal is going to do it at all. I I, I don't think 10,000 rivers of oil is enough. So maybe, maybe, maybe the biggest sacrifice I could think about making, maybe that's going to get it done. And what happens here in this moment, beloved, is that they propose something entirely wicked, entirely evil, but most certainly unbiblical, absolutely against the law. By the way, your very best efforts to make yourself right with God, this will always happen to you. You'll always make the problem worse and not better. Because if you and your sin are the problem, then you and your sin can never be the solution. I'll fix this, I'll fix this, I'll fix this. And what are they doing? They're just digging the hole, right? And the hole gets deeper and deeper. Deeper, they progress more downward and downward and downward into sin and depravity and lawlessness and godlessness. I'll offer my child, God. Surely, surely that's going to stay your hand. There's a thousand problems with that. Maybe most notably is that God has already told them absolutely not on that. In his law, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21 Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 1. Do not offer child sacrifice. If you do, the punishment for that is you being stoned to death. God could not be more clear on this issue. When you go into the land, there will be people offering up children to Molech. You do not do that. Should go without saying. You don't offer up your children. But in their efforts to make themselves right with God and to fix the problem, this is where their sinful hearts take them. I don't think a yearling calf's going to get it. I don't think uh, 10,000 rams or or thousands of rams are are, going to get it. So I'll I'll offer up the, the, the biggest thing that I can possibly think to offer up. What's the problem here, church? What's the problem in verses 6 and 7? The problem here is that there is a lot of spiritual language and a great deal of spiritual activity without the heart actually being committed to God. And the implied answer from God to all of these proposals is a resounding no. No. We'll see what God says in verse 8, but just think with this, think about this for a moment with me in verses 6 and 7. The problem here is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 29 and verse 13. This people draws near to me with their words and honors me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts. Far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote, meaning rote behavior. These people, they say all the right things. They use the right language, but the problem is what? Their hearts are not in it. Their hearts are far from me this seeming outward reverence for me, that's just the rote behavior that they mindlessly do day in, day out, week in, month in, year in, year out. And the implied answer from God in this moment is no, children. It's not what I want from you. Because your very best effort, your most Costly sacrifice is never, ever, ever going to be enough to fix what is broken between me and you. God does not want your spiritual activity apart from your heart. Turn back to Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40. A couple of places in the Psalms here together. Psalm chapter 40, look down to verse 6. Psalm 40, starting in verse 6. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burn offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Hold, I come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will. O oh my God, your law is within my heart. Now, building on that in Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51, the Psalm of Repentance. Verses 16 and 17. Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not It's not that God is saying to them, don't bring sacrifices at all. He has already commanded them to do that. But the issue is that when they bring the sacrifices, they do not bring them in faith. And they do not bring them with hearts that are committed to honoring God. Hearts that are committed to being humbled before Him hearts that are committed to do and live out what He has called them to do and to live out in this Word. And so then, when they ask in Micah 6, what do you want from us, God? Do you want these things? The answer is a resounding no. And friend, if you're in the room this morning, and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, if you are in the room this morning and you are not in a right relationship with God, you cannot, you cannot work your way to heaven. You cannot work your way, sacrifice your way, give your way into a right relationship with God. In fact, your very best efforts, verses 6 and 7, are only going to make the problem worse. You're only going to add further condemnation upon you as you reject the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and you hold on to your own self-will and very best efforts. See it. You cannot do this on your own because salvation is not of works not. Never has been. Never will be. You must this day. Now. You must turn from your sin, your striving, your best efforts, and you must now, dear friend, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith for only He alone can save. And if you're in the room, you are in Christ. Oh dear, saint. Hear hear the answer to the question. Look, you're already in Christ. And God cannot and will not love you more than He does right now in this moment because of His Son, Jesus Christ. So you don't have to work to appease God. The blood and the death of Christ on the cross has already appeased the wrath of holy God reserved for you. So you don't have to work your way into more love from God this morning, this year. So you don't have to worry then about, i got to make sure I get all the boxes checked. i got to tick all the boxes or God's going to somehow be displeased with me. You know as well as I do that when we fall into that rhythm, that when we fall into that rhythm, our hearts become disconnected from the service. And it just becomes rote. Sunday, I got to have something to say. They're going to be sitting there looking at me. I got to have something to preach, so let me just do the things. To tick the boxes so that they'll keep paying me, and my heart just becomes disconnected from it. It's Wednesday. I'm gonna show up for Bible study, child care again, ticking the boxes. Sure wish the time would go faster. Oh, it's it's that time to do that thing again. You get how this works. And your heart just becomes so very disconnected from it. And beloved, if you are in Christ this morning, don't think you've got to tick boxes to earn more love from God. You can't earn more love from God. He loves you perfectly right here, right now. And, and don't serve, don't serve disconnected from a heart that is just so deeply, passionately in love with God and serves God out of an overflow of gratitude for who he is and what he has done for you in Christ. What does God want from me? He doesn't want my spiritual service apart from my heart. And then, secondly, second answer to that question is that God wants my heart committed to what he has told me in his word. What does God want? Answered in the positive this time. God wants my heart committed to what He has told me in His word. Look in verse 8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly. With your God. So here in verse 8, we have God's response. God now speaks. It's been silent in verses 6 and 7. But now God speaks, and the answer comes to the question: what does God want? What does God want from me? And his response to them is: I've told you what is good. I've told you the right thing to do. I've told you. The word told, it means to bring forward. It means to bring it into the light. It means to declare or profess it openly. So, So God is saying to them, I haven't whispered this. I have openly, clearly proclaimed this to you. You shouldn't have to even really ask the question, what does God want from me? Because I've already told you. Well, then they, and I think we, are left to ask, well, God, where have you told us this? When did you tell us this? In what way have you done this? Well, where has God told us how he wants us to live? Where has God set forth his expectations for how he calls his covenant people to live? Church, God has told us in his law. God has told us in his word. I've already told you, God says, and I've done that in my law to you. Think about just the Ten Commandments with me for a moment. It's ten laws, the Decalogue, these two tablets of stone upon which God has written, essentially a summary of his law. It's not just, hey, here's my ten laws, if you can keep them, you can get in. These, are, these serve as a summary, if you will, of God's law. Some have even helpfully broken this down to help us see that the first half of these laws deal primarily with our relationship to God, while the second half of these laws deal primarily with our relationship to other people. This is why, by the way, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. This is why here in Matthew 22, this is why Jesus says what he does here. Jesus is in a conversation here with one of the lawyers, one of the scribes. And one of these scribes, one of these lawyers comes to him in verse 35. Matthew 22, verse 35, one of them A lawyer asked him a question testing him. Here's the question, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? We'll see if he gets this one right. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus is summarizing the first half of the Decalogue. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are, with your hearts. Verse 38, this is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's how Jesus, the word of God, summarizes the second half of the law. Love your neighbor. So don't kill him. Don't covet their stuff. Don't commit adultery. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So then, in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, what Micah is doing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here is he is essentially summarizing The law as God once again, as he has been doing from the beginning, cause his people to love him rightly and their neighbor as themselves. And I want you to pay, in verse 8, pay special attention to what God's doing. Pay special attention to what God is doing. Notice to where God directs the attention of the people. They've asked a question, God's going to answer, to where does God direct their attention? He does it to his word, to his law. I have told you, in my law, in my word, what does God want from me? God says what? Look to my word. How am I made right with God? I have told you, look to my word. How does God want me to live day in and day out at the outset of a new year and beyond? God is declaring, I've told you, look to my word. What does God want from us, church? First, he wants us committed, he wants our hearts committed to his word, to the scriptures, To the sacred canon of holy writ that sits in your hands this morning. God is calling you to his word. And so, as we're asking and trying to discern the answer to the question, what does God want from me? God is saying, look to the scriptures, don't look to experience, do not follow your heart. Do not let your conscience be your guide. Do not buy into the philosophy of the day. Do not do what feels right. That's how you land on the broad path to destruction, beloved. Look to His Word. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Obey it. One of the things that I love about our worship services, by the way, is when Pastor Matthew comes up and calls our attention to the verse in God's Word that we're, we're meditating on throughout the month, and together we recite that. That is a moment, whether we understand it or not, whether we've ever thought about it this way or not, it's a moment of corporate confession. Where we are saying, God, your word is authority, and we believe it, oh God. That needs to be the ebb and flow of every single day of our lives. What does God want from me? He wants me committed to his word. And in verse 8, the three things that he's called me to do number one, do justice. Do justice. Quick caveat God is not saying here, it's important to emphasize, it's important that we understand. God is not saying, Do these three things so that you can be right with me. Salvation is not of works. God is saying, Because you are already my covenant people by grace through faith, do these things. Live these things out. And first, what I want you to do is to do. Justice, to seek it, he'll say in other places in the law, to preserve it, he'll say in other places in his word. What does God mean to do justice? At the heart of this is a call to God's people to not show partiality. That's what's at the heart of this. This is not a call to the church to be social justice. Warriors, This is a call to rightly value every single person and show partiality to no one. It's a call to see every person, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every color, every creed, every tongue, every nation. It's a call to see them bearing the Imago Dei, the very image of God. And to value them, to prize them, to prioritize them as such. And to show partiality to no one. No one. This is the problem in the book of James. And you can just jot down this reference for your own study later. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. The problem to those among those to whom James is writing is that they're showing partiality to the rich. And they're looking at the poor man, the weak, the ostracized, and they're saying, sit here at my feet. Or go stand up in the back of the room, and they're saying to the rich among them, here, come, you have the place of honor among us. And God calls them out in James 2 and says you are showing partiality and you are guilty as lawbreakers because you are not loving your neighbor as yourself. And so then when the call comes upon the church to do justice, at the heart of it, is we are not going to show partiality. We're going to treat every person the same, and we're going to treat every person as the precious image bearer that they are. We're going to protect the weak. We're going to protect the vulnerable. We're going to be a voice for those who have no voice. We're going to stand in the gap for the minority, the outcast, and the ostracized. Why? Because this is first what God has done for us, is it not? we're going to do justice. And it's not going to be a thing that we check off every now and then. It's going to be the rhythm, the flavor of our lives. We're going to come alongside those that live in the really nice house, and we're going to come alongside those in the trailer. park. We're going to come alongside those who seemingly have their lives all together, and we're going to come alongside of those whose life is just a wreck. We're going to love them, and we're going to rejoice with them, and we're going to do justice and honor the name of the Lord our God. Secondly, we're going to love kindness. That's what God wants from us. I want you to love kindness, my people, God is saying. I love this word kindness. It's the Hebrew word kesed, which refers to God's faithful, loyal, covenant, merciful love to his people. And so then, when we love kindness... We're going to be displaying a loyal, faithful, tender love and mercy toward others. Remember in Micah, God's people have not loved kindness. They have taken advantage of one another. They haven't loved their neighbor. They have not displayed mercy. And so God calls them to do what they should have been doing, what he already told them to do, but what they're not doing, love kindness. What does God want from us in this year, church? To those inside and to those outside the church, God wants, to, wants us to show loyal, faithful, mercy-filled love to every single person with whom we interact. Everyone stands in need of the mercy of Christ. And because we have first been shown the mercy of Christ, what are we going to do, church? What can be the only recourse of our souls we're going to love kindness. And lastly, we're going to walk humbly with our God. God, what do you want? What do you want from us, God? I want you to do what I've told you to do in my word, which is justice, and love kindness, and I want you to walk humbly. I love this word humbly. It means to walk circumspectly, which means to consider God First, in everything, this is going to take some work. It's going to take some work for me. I would imagine it's going to take work for all of us because the reflex of our soul is not always to think about God first. In our sin, even in just fighting against our sin nature, even as believers. There's still something in us. That old man keeps trying to claw his or her way out of the grave. And have me as the greatest reality in the room. So God says, I want you to walk humbly. I want you to live circumspectly. I want you to live a thoughtful life, always asking what does God want, not what do I want. Always asking, "What does God's word say, not, "What do I think?" Always asking, "What is God's will, not "How do I pursue my own will?" To walk humbly, to, to live circumspectly means that in every facet of our lives, we're asking the question, "What does God want in this? How do I honor King Jesus?" In this, how do I promote the gospel? How do I advance the glory of God and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we walk humbly with our God? Remember that you did not save yourself, God saved you. Remember that God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Make it your aim to do God's will not your own. Make it more about others than you. And remember that God has given you everything that you own for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. Church, die daily. Die to self every single solitary day. Get up and nail your will to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ every morning. Proclaim to your own soul what God has said in his word, I will do. What does God want, church? He doesn't want your spiritual activity without your heart, and he wants your heart committed to what he has told you to do in his word, which is to love him chiefly and your neighbor as yourself. Look, there's still a lot more meat on that bone that you can go home and chew on this afternoon, meditate upon, and begin to apply to your life and heart. I encourage you to do so. as We seek to honor God in these days that He has given us that are now before us. Let's pray together. Father, as our hearts seek to respond to what we've seen in your word, God, I pray that you would take every facet of our lives, God, and make our lives, God, just so committed to your word, so committed to what you've already told us. God, we don't have to go elsewhere looking for answers. God, your word has them all. And forgive us. Forgive us, God, for where we might have neglected your word in our lives we've sidelined it thinking that something else is more clear more effective more powerful God you're, you're not going to speak in any other way except through your word and God your word has told the sinner how they can be right with you through Christ so God I pray this morning that they will respond to the truth of your word Father your word has told us not to serve you without our hearts so God help us respond to that Lord help us to commit ourselves fresh and new doing justice, not showing partiality, to showing faithful love. God just posturing ourselves ability before you. God do your work by your spirit. The hearts of the people in this place. Churches, we